Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org. Today is Friday. It's the 23rd of June. This is Here First from IPR News. I'm Clay Masters. The Iowa Department of Education is going through an unexpected change in leadership. Director Chad Aldis was appointed in March. Now he is resigning for family reasons, according to the governor's office. Governor Kim Reynolds has chosen Virginia Deputy Education Secretary Mackenzie Snow to take his place. Snow was previously a division director at the New Hampshire Department of Education. She also has experience working on education policy at the federal level. That includes time in the Trump White House as a special assistant to the president on the Domestic Policy Council. The transition is happening quickly. Snow's appointment as education director starts on Monday. In northwest Iowa, the Spirit Lake School Board has rescinded its plan to let up to 10 non-teaching staff members carry a concealed weapon on school grounds. The move comes after the company that has provided the district's liability insurance said it would not renew the policy on July 1st. Board President Teresa Beck says the district had no other options but to withdraw the gun policy that had been approved last fall as part of the school's safety plan. And I believe we have the support of the majority of our community. I know we had it teachers, parents, students. Um, I'm sad that we can't do it. We all feel like it's the best thing to keep our kids safe. The board made its decision last night during a special meeting and indicated the district's existing insurance carrier will renew its policy, which was set to expire June 30th. An online news outlet aimed at telling the stories of black Iowans is publishing in print for the first time. We learn the details from IPR's Grant Gerlock. Dana James launched Black Iowa News online in May of 2020 to tell stories of how the pandemic affected her community. Three years later, she has a new print edition, including stories about Juneteenth, policing, and black business owners. James says she's already felt the community rally around a paper that centers on their experiences. I really feel like there's something about holding this in your hands and seeing so many black people across the state um, reflected in the pages. It's someone validating you and your experience. Earlier this month, James hauled 8,500 copies of Black Iowa News to more than a dozen cities across the state. The paper can be picked up for free at libraries, churches, and Black-owned businesses. She plans to publish new editions quarterly. You can hear more about Black Iowa News when Dana James is a guest on Monday's Talk of Iowa on IPR News. An appeals court has not only upheld a 2020 order for the federal government to pay landowners along the Missouri River for years of flooding, it's also requiring the government to cover crop losses and damages from the devastating floods of 2011. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit sided with landowners who sued in 2014, arguing that the federal government violated constitutional protections against taking property without just compensation. The lawsuit says the Corps of Engineers caused recurrent flooding after changing how it manages the Missouri River's flow to prioritize protecting endangered fish and birds. Attorneys for the landowners expect the government to appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court. And a committee that formed 10 years ago in southeast Iowa to help develop trails through Fort Madison continues to make progress. 
They've cut a ribbon to open the latest trail segment from the high school to the city's rodeo grounds. Angie Budnick chairs the group called Promoting Outdoor Recreation Trails. I'm really passionate about giving people the tools they need to be healthy. You know, it's easy for us to sit back and say, you need to be healthy, but if you don't have the tools to do that, um, it makes it more difficult. She says the committee has now completed four sections of trails for walking, running, and cycling, and they plan to raise money for more trail sections. This is Here First from IPR News. I'm Clay Masters. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Bird flu has hit the U.S. hard over the last couple of years. It's left about 60 million chickens and turkeys dead across 47 states, making it the worst outbreak in U.S. history. While the outbreak has been tapering off in recent months, researchers are working on a vaccine. IPR's Katie Pikus looks at the potential for a vaccine and the challenges. Pete Klopak stands inside one of his turkey barns of his central Minnesota operation. About 11,000 turkeys are eating, drinking, or watching him. Right now, they're pretty curious because there's two new people in here. <laughs> so they're, they're, they're warm. It's warm out today, so they're, they're not quite as active as they normally would be. Last year, avian flu struck two of Klopak's turkey farms in just two days. Klopak lost more than 100,000 turkeys. He says it was really hard for him, his family, and their employees. I mean, there were tears, there was frustration, there was kind of the, what did I do, you know, how could I let this happen, I failed, that type of thing. Klopak and other producers have worked hard to keep the virus away from their flocks through biosecurity measures like changing their boots for every barn they walk into. The U.S. Department of Agriculture says that's working and bird flu cases have really slowed this year across the nation. But officials are also looking at vaccines. We need to have it in our toolbox, right, in case things get worse. Alicia Noggle is an administrator of veterinary services with the USDA's Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service. She says a vaccine for bird flu would be a preventative tool, an investment in the future. The USDA's researchers are testing eight potential vaccines for commercial poultry. Some were developed back in 2015, during the last major outbreak. But Noggle says a vaccine doesn't come without some risks, like it could make the virus harder to spot. We would not be as likely to actually see birds that are sick or see deaths from birds. And if spotting bird flu were more difficult in vaccinated birds, other countries may turn away U.S. poultry. That's a big concern for the USDA, producers, and industry groups. Greg Tyler of the U.S. Poultry and Egg Export Council says 20 percent of broiler chickens produced in the U.S. are exported. If vaccines were to move through without careful planning and working with our trading partners to make sure that we would still be able to export, we're talking about $6.2 billion worth of loss just on the export side up front. And it's not just the export market. U.S. consumers could also be impacted. Jada Thompson is an agricultural economist at the University of Arkansas. She says consumers can expect to pay more for chicken, turkey, or eggs at the grocery store. If you're adding anything to a production system, the costs are going to go up. And there's no marginal room to eat that cost. Thompson says a lot of this is hypothetical. Even with a vaccine, experts say only birds in highly impacted areas would need to be vaccinated. And a vaccine may not arrive fast enough to address this bird flu strain as the outbreak diminishes. 
At his Minnesota turkey farm, Pete Klopak says a vaccine would have been great to have last year. Yesterday probably would have been better, but I understand it's a process. I mean, it's a huge process. The USDA's vaccination trials should finish in August. In a best-case scenario, the department says a vaccine could be available in 18 to 24 months. I'm Katie Pikus, IPR News. Katie is our reporter with Harvest Public Media, a collaboration of public media stations across the Great Plains and Midwest reporting on food production, agriculture, and rural life. And this is Here First. You can find this podcast wherever you subscribe to them. I'm Clay Masters. Thanks for listening this week.